<laughs> okay, now we can start. Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Jordan Malley. Jordan, great to see you. Through our 670 scores. Scope, yep. Where is he? And it's right over there, Bill. Did Matt Peck yeah. get a signed copy of that book? No, Matt Peck, he didn't know. No. I'll talk to D. Rose. Yeah, got you. Matt, well, you will be getting your book soon. <laughs> Left side three. Remy. Remy. Got it. Levine, turn around, jumper up. Get it. Onions, baby onions. Kobe White, put him in the Hall of Fame. Locked on Bulls starts now. You can just see the vibe. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Drop your text, your voicemails, anything you got for us, 331-979-1369. Well, Matt, hell of a Game 7 once again. Shocked at all that the Nuggets came out on top of the Clippers. And uh, I know you've been taking a break from Twitter, but the clowning on Paul George last night had me just absolutely dying. So it was one of those classic NBA Twitter nights. Uh, But what did you think about Game 7 and how are you, man? What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Doing well. Um, Yeah, actually, so um, I announced earlier today that I'm officially ending my Twitter break. uh, And it's because I just, after watching that game last night, I I was having insane FOMO of what was going on on NBA Twitter reacting to that Nuggets upset. So I was like, all right, you know what? I think I think now is a good time. I've I've been off Twitter uh, more or less for like the last three weeks. It was a good break, but I was like, I, I got to see what people are saying about this. It was crazy, man. I mean, I sat there watching that game with uh, with my buddy Big Dave on Hot Mike, and I mean, I even like previewed this Game 7 on a solo episode on Monday, and I was like, I I'm, I'm guess I'm taking the Clippers because theoretically they should. If Kawhi plays well, if Paul George plays well, if they get their shit together, they should win. But they should have won this series in five games. But I had no confidence in my prediction that the Clippers would win based on what we saw, especially in half in the second halves of games five and six. Sure enough, we saw the exact same thing in game seven. The Clippers built a lead, not as big of a lead as they had in games five and six, and then proceeded to just get complacent uh, to, to kind of take, take the foot off the gas on the defensive end. They were getting out in transition, scoring a lot of transition buckets in the first half. They stopped doing that altogether. And the Murray and Jokic pick and roll game just picked them apart again. Doc had no answer for it. And I'm sorry, but Kawhi Leonard and Paul George combined for 24 points in a game seven. Neither of them made a field goal in the fourth quarter of a game seven. Unbelievable. Paul George is having a rough one. He's going to have a rough one for the next couple of weeks on Twitter. Uh, but same thing with like Kawhi Leonard. And I was reading an article earlier, too. It's like this is going to affect just the bubble in general is going to affect Montrezl Harrell's money in free agency and coming up. So a lot of those guys actually had negative oppositions on the Clippers. And it's not surprising that team didn't want to come and play. They were the only team voting saying, no, we shouldn't play. We should just end the season. So it's clear some weird things going on with the Clippers, but more so credit to the Denver Nuggets. You just it's unbelievable. And it makes me excited as a Bulls fan, Matt, because we know Arturis is the one who's kind of shaped and brought that entire team together. 
Uh, we did hear from Mike Malone. We'll hear from him in a second about uh, one of the possible coaching candidates. But overall, Game 7, the Nuggets, the way that that team's constructed, how does it make you feel as a Bulls fan? I mean, it feel pretty solid. Um, I, I, it also, you know, speaking of FOMO, I, I'm having serious FOMO on just wishing that the Bulls had Jokic and Murray now because is there a more exciting up-and-coming duo of stars in this league? And, like, Jokic has been an established star for a while. Murray kind of has been, like, on that borderline of not quite referred to as a star in the league, but these playoffs will certainly change that. Dude was, you know, putting up 50-point games in their first-round comeback series against you and more big performances like this. As a Bulls fan, knowing that AK had a lot to do with what this Denver team is made of, uh, the pieces and, and just the, the the culture that never say die attitude that they all came into both of these three one deficits with it 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 speaks volumes and it's very exciting as a Bulls fan. Um, makes you feel a little impatient. Like, can we just hurry up and get to the point where the Bulls are upsetting you know top seeds in in a in a playoff series? Um, and using stars like Jokic and Murray again. Just dominating the star duo of the Clippers. Kawhi, 24, 10 boards, 8 assists between them in Game 7. Jokic and Murray, 56, 26 boards, 18 assists between them. And I think there's if there's one thing that maybe you should temper excitement as far as this Nuggets team and, oh, my God, this is crazy upset and look, look at this great stuff the Bulls have ahead of I mean... Yes, they were the underdogs in that series. Everybody picked them. Like I saw the, the Nuggets Twitter account and props to that because it was hilarious. Just had a tweet that said, whoops. And it was a screenshot of every single ESPN NBA analyst, journalist, reporter picking the Clippers. Every single one, all like all 20 of them, not even a single person had the Nuggets taking them to a game seven. It was all Clippers in four, five or six. That's how everybody felt. But the Nuggets were a three seed. The Nuggets were a three seed that had only three fewer wins than the Clippers. So maybe people thought it was more of a blowout waiting to happen than the reality of the situation. I'm excited as a Bulls fan, just knowing that some of the pieces that helped them get to that point, obviously, like you're talking about Jokic and Murray being the two stars and the studs to lead that lead the way, but smart moves like getting Jeremy, getting Jeremy Grant and him playing a crucial role. I know he didn't have a great series overall, uh, especially in the middle, but still adding pieces like that, guys that go under the radar. I talked a little bit about Torrey Craig, Torrey Craig coming off the bench. That's another guy that they found diamond that a rough undrafted free agent. Uh, so players like that in the philosophy and mindset that AK brings to the bulls, having that mentality going forward and, Look, the Bulls have raw talent, and there's three, four, five guys that you could potentially build a core around here. We don't know. We need a head coach and still need some guys to step up, but AK is coming in, I think, in an advantage. And looking at the way he crafted that Nuggets team, it should be exciting for Bulls fans for the next couple of years. But let's, uh, let's, before we listen to Wes Unseld Jr., uh, the only thing I wanted to ask you about the Clippers was do you think that they try to blow any of that up? Do you think that they move pieces this offseason or do you think they're going to run it back again? Well, I don't really know if they have options other than running it back again. I, I mean, they mortgaged so much of their future to make this Kawhi Paul George thing happen. Uh, I mean, they gave up what? Four, five first round future first round draft picks to make this happen? I, I like, 
know, I, I certainly don't, I don't envy Steve Ballmer right now trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do. But as much as people were clowning Paul George for saying, you know, like this was weird, uh, you know, coming in as not the underdogs and this level of pressure and, you know, maybe we just needed a little bit more time to gel. It was just our first season. He used the excuse when after an MVP caliber season with the Thunder uh, alongside Russ, they had a very disappointing early exit from the playoffs. Like, well, first year in a new system, maybe we just need to let this marinate for a little bit. And there could be some truth to that. But I, to, to me, the bigger turn is we all, after last year's playoff run, said, okay, there's no more ifs, ands, or buts about it. Between the title he won in San Antonio and this, Kawhi Leonard is a finals MVP kind of guy, a guy you can rely on to make big plays in the biggest moments on the playoff stage. And him going to L.A. with Paul George makes them championship favorites. Maybe right there along with LeBron and AD and the Lakers, but certainly championship favorites. Kawhi played like that last night. Paul George played nothing like an all-star, let alone an all-NBA kind of player. And Doc Rivers, thoroughly outcoached by Mike Malone. So those are the three most important pieces of this team, in my opinion. You're like, yeah, you could talk about Lou Williams having a bad series. Montrez Harrell had a decent game last night, but it was too little too late. I think they have to run it back because they have no other options, and they still have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George if those guys actually play like the names that are attached to the player. No OT tonight. George. Ball game. Way off. It's the side of the backboard. Playoff P doing it again. Yeah, dude, P. shout out to that Paul George corner three that made Bulls fans <laughs> like have PTSD about Michael Carter Williams. Oh my God, I don't, I don't ever want that guy associated with the Bulls ever again. But. No OT tonight, George. Ball game. Way off. It's the side of the backboard. <laughs> oh, that was too good. Yeah, that was just icing on the cake after just getting absolutely scraped in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Clippers having to finish that out. But uh, the most surprising thing, and I was telling you that like around midnight, 1 a.m., the Bulls were trending on Twitter. I'm like, why the hell are the Bulls trending? Like, what did they do overnight? And it wasn't anything of super importance or even really related to the Bulls. It was more so the what Mike Ballone had to say about Wes Unsell Jr. and one of the candidates for the Bulls job. Uh, let's take a listen. I think for some reason there was a narrative out there that we're a soft, uh, soft team, uh, we're a finesse team, and I think that's something that players have taken personally. Uh, we had a bad game in LA out of the All Star break. It happens. It's happened to every team in the NBA. Uh, but I think when you you look at our complete body of work, some of the teams that we have beaten, uh, I, I know that we're not a soft team. I know that our guys are willing to uh, to show up and fight and compete like we've done time and time again. So. Um, and, and to me, I think the defense, you know, like Wes Unsell, I got to give Wes Unsell, my whole staff for that matter, whole, my whole staff, I have great staff. I have a bunch of head coaches on my staff. Wes, Wes Unsell should be a head coach, right? He, he, man, he mans our defense. I, I trust Wes to do his job. And our defense in the last three games has been phenomenal. And to hold that team to 33 points in the second half, I think last game they scored 35 in the second half against the highest rated offense in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, that's unheard of. So we gave them a game plan. We made the adjustments and our players bought in and they went out there and got the job done. So um, it, it speaks volumes about our group. Aside just from that comment, <clears throat> listening to Mike Malone talk was actually sort of inspiring and refreshing to hear a head coach 
actually talk positivity and not nonsense for once. I'm like, wow, that's how a head coach should actually speak about their team and how a successful team actually is spoken about from a head coach, not not a guy like this. He's not not. Uh, but what did you think about that? I think that's this is good signs, right? We talk about a Bulls team who's been atrocious on defense, had a short pockets last year, but getting a head coach that comes in here brings a defensive mind first. I mean, all that praise from Wes Unseld and it's showing up for the Nuggets. It's it's good things if he's one of the leading candidates for the job. I mean, don't tell Jim Boyle and the Bulls were atrocious on defense last year. He'll get mad at you. Look, oh, look at all these great defensive stats we have. He, he's he's installed a system and he's happy about it. Um, I'm not. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not. <laughs> look, yes, all of this is good news for Bulls fans, assuming that Wes Unseld... He, I think he was always one of the people most likely to be one of the finalists among the head coaching search candidate pool because of his connection with AK in Denver. Same reason why a lot of people believe Ime Udoka could become a finalist because of his connection with Eversley in Philly. Um, I think when you hear Mike Malone say stuff like that about Wes Unsell Jr., and, and I, I can't, I, I didn't recall if it was in that clip you just played, but he also said something along the lines of Wensell Jr. should be a head coach. Um, and I saw something else about uh, somebody in Denver media saying, um, you know, when Wes Wensell Jr. gets that opportunity, you know, he will make whoever hires him look very, you know, look very smart. Um, yes, the Bulls kind of have had a history of hiring defense first coaches, you know, Tibbs was a defense guy. Boylan was a defense guy. Fred was like uh, exception to the rule and that they were like, hey, we're going to bring in this, you know, modern offensive minded, you know, forward thinking guy, Freddie Hoiberg, who's going to install his system that works so well at Iowa State. And that, you know, that uh, experiment exploded because the front office gave him all the wrong pieces to run that system. So it wouldn't surprise me, even with new front office, to see maybe in some way saying, hey, look, Reinsdorf's ownership, we're still going the route of Chicago, blue collar, defense first, as as like cliche as that is. But you got to give Unseld credit for the way that they completely contained one of the most, you know, potent offenses in the NBA. It's crazy. And it's right. Michael Mullen was absolutely correct to say that it's crazy when you looked at the stats of what the Nuggets defense did to the Clippers in the second half of games five, six, and seven. It's crazy. I'm not like over the moon, like you've seen stars because it's not like the Nuggets were known all season long as a dominant defensive team. They had ups and downs. Sometimes they played well, sometimes they didn't. But like, you know, they were giving up 120, 130 in their first round against Utah. So like, yes, I like him as a candidate, mostly just because of the connection and trust that already exists with AK. That's a perfect way to put it. <clears throat> perfect way to put it. I want to ask you one more question about if they do say they do go ahead with a defensive minded coach like this it was a conversation I was talking about a little bit yesterday relating to the ringers NBA mock draft before we go to Kobe White uh, but before I discuss all of that I want to tell our listeners about Built Bar Built Bar is an amazing sponsor here at the Locked On Podcast Network and Locked On Bulls I've been telling you guys about them for the past couple of months they have 12 original flavors 6 brand new flavors including caramel brownie cookies and cream 
carrot cake, and more. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew. Built Bar is great for the healthy, conscious guy or girl in your life. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. They're great for the Atkins or keto diet. One of the flavor profiles that I love is the peanut butter bar. It has 19 grams of protein, 180 calories, 5 grams of sugar, and 5 grams of net carbs. Right now, go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And while supplies last, if you go there right now, you'll get a free cooler with your purchase. But you got to go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off today. Uh, what I was talking about with in regards to the ringer, their 1.0 mock draft had the Bulls taking James Wiseman at number four. And I said, you know, I saw some reaction over the weekend on Twitter about this. And I said, OK, I'm not really more interested on why they would take James Wiseman there. I'm more interested of what the philosophy is going forward. And to me, the, the clear decision is if they take Wiseman or if they take a big in this draft, all signs point to the trading market in our Carter. And I think it heavily relies on the coach that, that they end up hiring. Is it an offensive-minded first head coach or is it a defensive-minded head coach first? If it's Wes Unseld Jr. or somebody like that, defense first, you've got to imagine Car- Markkinen's getting traded. You keep Carter, you move him to the four, you make him happy, James Wiseman plays your five. Now you're more of a defensive first player as opposed to trading Carter and trying to figure out whatever the hell marketing is as a defensive player on that end. I was just curious your thoughts of seeing the Ringers take on the Bulls taking Wiseman and I know we've talked about this a couple different times but if there is a situation where they decide to trade one of these two guys marketing or Carter if they draft a guy like Wiseman uh, do you see it kind of going that way where they would keep Carter if they're going more defensive minded? I mean, I, I see the logic to it, but my, my feeling is if that were the plan, Wiseman falls to us at four. We think he's the best overall talent available on the board. That's our plan to take the best available regardless of roster need or fit or whatever. So let's take him and then have to turn around and say, okay, now that we took the best player available, what do we do with our roster? Um, yes, it in that sense makes sense to say, okay, Wiseman's our new young center that we're going to develop. Carter has been talking about how he feels more natural um, and more comfortable four than the five. He's certainly undersized to play the center, even in today's NBA. So if that works, then Lowry would appear to be the odd man out. If that were the line of thinking, then AK, who has said, I would like to figure out what the hell went wrong with Lowry marketing, clearly sees the potential in marketing, especially on the offensive end. If he decides that he's the odd man out, he better be damn sure that, yes, while it's all you know lovely on the defensive end to say maybe the Bulls can establish this dominant defensive front court of Wiseman and Carter, you better be damn sure that the untapped potential, and by that I'm, I'm phrasing it nicely, the, uh, in essence, zero sum we've seen from Wendell Carter on the offensive end, especially this season, you better be damn sure that your group of player development people can bring some out of him because it, it doesn't matter if you have him on a defensive front court if you can't score the damn ball. And, you know, as, as much as I'd like to believe in Wendell Carter Jr.'s offensive ceiling, there is zero reason to believe in that right now based on the season he just had. None. So if that's the, the route that AK and the Bulls want to go, 
hopefully he has the faith that whatever was plaguing Wendell, where he regressed so poorly offensively this season, they can fix that and turn him into a guy who actually uses the glimpses of things we've seen on the uh, for, for his potential. And I'm not just talking about, well, hey, he shot 40% on threes when he was you know in, in college for a year, and then he hasn't launched them at all in the NBA. I'm talking about simple things like knowing what to do when you're going to work in the low post or the high post. Uh, like getting involved as, you know, uh, a pick and roll guy, uh, using him and his passing ability, an underrated passer for a guy playing the big man position. They need to be sure that they can get all of that out of Wendell if they're going to give up on Lowry. Yeah, and I'm not by any means saying that they need to make any moves immediately. It's just one of those scenarios that would be talked about immediately if they take a big man in the draft. And I agree with you 100% is you got to be damn sure. And that even goes for Carter, too. It's like, you got to make sure, you got to be damn sure that, okay, I don't think we're going to get the offensive potential out of him. And while he might be five years from now, a potential for a def- defensive player of the year, like that's his ceiling. You better be damn sure whatever you're getting back is going to turn into immediate results. And that's what you're looking forward to build because giving away one of those two players and sacrificing an entire season, they sacrificed an entire season to get Wendell Carter Jr., they traded Jimmy Butler for Lowry Markkinen, so all of that goes into, con- for me at least, use a little bit of context in how this is built. And some people might say, well, you got to wipe that sl- slate clean because it's a new front office. They're going to approach it completely different. Look at it with a fresh set of eyes. I get that, but still as a fan, like it has me wondering and thinking, if this scenario pops up, I'm hoping that they, they get what they deserve back for either of those guys, and they're also 100% confident in, in their overall take on those guys trading them. So it's interesting. It's an interesting point, but um, yeah, man, I, I'm excited to see. I, I would imagine, if you had to put a put a pinpoint on it, I would imagine that the Bulls hire somebody in the next couple of weeks. I mean, we've got training camps starting in, what, a week? A week from now? And I already saw Zach Levine's back in town, so uh, it's good to see most of the players are going to end up showing up for those. But I would imagine that an announcement's going to be coming relatively soon, right? All the candidates that the Bulls want to uh, hire have been eliminated from the playoffs, right? Or free agents, for the most part. Except Wes Onsell Jr. That's with true. The, with the Denver Nuggets. That's true. Um, but, and, and you know, there's also been talk of Darvin Ham. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, nope. Milwaukee's been eliminated. Uh, yeah, I think all the other candidates have been... Oh, uh, Dan Craig in Miami. He's the other one who's still around. Uh, in the, but that doesn't necessarily matter. Uh, you know, as Casey Johnson pointed out yesterday, I believe, the Bulls, not that long ago, came to terms uh, with their new head coach, Tom Thibodeau, while he was still playoffs with the Boston Celtics back in 2010. He didn't... It, both franchises agreed to keep it uh, you know, unofficial and silent until the Celtics playoff run was over. Uh, but but Tibbs and the Bulls shook hands essentially on that while he was still uh, Doc's associate head coach in our playoff run. So it's possible we could hear something between now and the you know the NBA Finals uh, happen- happening if it is one of those guys who's still down in the bubble right now uh, and, and Unseld being certainly right now uh, the leading candidate. And we did also hear AK say when he fired Jim, the, the, the whole, you know, OTAs, whatever you want to call them, these voluntary workouts that the team is going to start doing together, uh, testing for that starting, you know, this past Monday, that 
not like he felt they must have a coach in place by then. And, you know, Fleming is still on the staff. Fleming is one of the people they believe is at least an initial candidate that they're talking to in the house. Roy Rogers is theoretically still around one of Jim's other lead assistants from last season. So, you know, what we heard from Woj, I think, in his like hit on SportsCenter the other day is that he's expecting the Bulls to narrow down to three finalists by Friday of this week. So whether or not we hear that or whether or not the Bulls keep that in-house remains to be seen. I guess we just have to wait and see. Billy Donovan, Wes Unsell Jr., Ime Udoka. That's going to be the three finalists. I think that's going to be see, the three I don't, guys. I don't, I don't know about Donovan. We haven't, other than Woj mentioning him that one time where he said Chicago is expected to have interest. We've heard nothing. But then again, this is AK, who so far has played everything very close to the chest. Maybe he is you know, going to pull a move that maybe not quite as surprising as Brooklyn announcing Steve Nash, but maybe the reason that we haven't heard anything about Donovan and the Bulls, other than that one tweet from Woj like, two, like a week ago, is that the Bulls are very quietly and aggressively courting Donovan. We'll see. Uh, but you know, other than that, Atkinson might be the other only head coach uh, to be in that list of finalists. But I, I would guess that that final three, if we do hear it, will be one head coach, one guy with head coaching experience and two of these assistants. Yeah, that's a safe bet. Last thing that we've got here on Locked On Bulls for you today is I talked a little bit yesterday, just kind of announced the all-rookie teams, talked a little bit and congratulated Kobe White again for making second-team all-rookie. Man, this is another good thing. Carter, obviously, because of injury, didn't make one last year. And I said it, if he would have played in 70 games last year, he was at least a second-team all-rookie. Marketing made first-team all-rookie in his rookie year, which was fantastic. It's been a slumping point since. But having all this talent around us right now and seeing Kobe White make second team without with what getting one start this season is phenomenal. So uh, big praise for Kobe White. What did you think about in a snapshot his season and where he stacked up with the other finalists? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy for Kobe. I think where he stacked up with the other finalists for first and second team was pretty accurate. I think based on the struggles you saw from him early on in the season, it was a stretch to say that he deserved first-team all-rookie honors, especially with some of the other amazing play of the five guys who made that team. I mean, if you extrapolated, like you were saying with Wendell in his rookie year, if he didn't get hurt, with Kobe, it wasn't hurt. It was just inconsistent play for the first half of the season. If you extrapolated his play in February and March uh, over the course of a full season, he's not only first-team all-rookie, he's probably rookie of the year. Um, you know, as great as John Morant was, Kobe in February and March was lights out. So I think he finished where he should have. And congratulations to him. Um, and not to be like a Debbie Downer. I'm happy for him and I'm proud of him. But if you take a guy with the seventh overall pick, you better hope that he makes one of those all rookie teams, right? Like if you don't, that's a disappointment. Yeah. And I mean, if you, even if you wanted to be a huge Carter stand last year, there's plenty of argument and reasonable argument for why he didn't make either of those teams. First of all, that rookie class was absolutely stacked. And second of all, too, he's, he wasn't, he was hurt for most of the season. Didn't get consistent running. I mean, if we think about back to that season quickly, I mean, think about how terrible those teams were in October, November, and December, Matt, right before Jim Boylan took over. I mean, the Bulls were injured. They didn't have Portis. They didn't have Dunn. So there's argument to be made that the three rookies that the Bulls drafted over the course of the last three years in the core 
all have this high potential, and it's shown with these rookie teams. I mean, it was cool to see. Like, I'm actually a little bit jealous of Miami having two players and Tyler Hero getting beat out by one point to be on that all-rookie first team. Him and Kendrick Nunn being a pair there. I mean, you look at Golden State, Eric Pascal has been an amazing pick for them. Uh, So not only having a a top three pick now, but you also had a guy that made all-rookie first team on top of Stephen Clay. These teams that are forming, Matt, are starting to make me recognize that powerhouses, young powerhouses, are starting to slowly be built. And we're seeing it across the league over the last couple of years. I mean, even Memphis. Memphis had two guys, too, to make the all-rookie first team in Brandon Clark and John Morant. So uh, it's good for the Bulls, but they might be a little bit behind some of these other teams over the last couple of years. Memphis, certainly. Atlanta, maybe, certainly. Um but I'm excited for their future, and I'm happy for Kobe White. Yeah, and, and you know, if you saw some of his comments that were around Twitter earlier today, you know, he he's already setting goals for himself for next season, and the primary goal that he's not shy about is he wants to win the starting point guard job. I know Bulls fans like to debate a lot, is Kobe technically a point guard? Is he more of a shooting guard? In today's NBA, if you just find the right players to play together, it doesn't matter. You can spend some of your time being the primary ball handler. You can let Zach Levine be the primary ball handler some of the time. We only saw glimpses of Zach and Kobe playing together uh, back in this past season. What we saw was pretty fun. Obviously, you worry about what that means on the defensive end. Um, but Kobe going out and saying, I want to earn the starting spot, good for him, man. Because what we did see, despite his struggles earlier on this season, um, and he progressively got better, he got better the more opportunity and the longer leash that he was given. With more minutes, he played better and did more. Simple as that. If you look at his splits this season, or from his rookie season, when he played between 10 and 29 minutes, he shot uh, about 36, 35% from the field and about 33 point line. When he played 30 to 39 minutes, that field goal percentage jumped to 46 and the three-point percentage at 40. True shooting percentage when he played between 10 and 29 minutes, about 47, 48. It jumped to 58 when he played 30 to 39 minutes. When he was averaging 33.6 minutes a game for that last month or so, he was averaging 22 points, four and a half, four and a half. The kid, when he was given more opportunities to go out there and play, showed us what he that that amazing level of potential he has to be special in this league. So I'm happy for him that he got this honor and he is not at all satisfied. He's going to keep working. We know already about this kid's tremendous tremendous work ethic and um you know I I think bright things are ahead for him. I'm with you and I was looking at too I was talking a little bit about this but the opportunity and usage you know from a just from a snapshot, you say, yeah, you didn't start in that many games, but I'm actually like looking at it as B-Ball Breakdown put the, all these numbers together about the opportunities that Kobe White got and also the usage in their player profiles. And a lot of it is up above the average guards who've played 500 minutes or more this year, which is a good thing. Like, upset that Kobe White didn't get the opportunity to start and play with those five guys, and that means a lot. But also, too, at the same time, he was getting a lot of opportunity in most most more than guys normally do in their rookie seasons. I mean, we look across the board, we'd like him to start and have the opportunity John Moran had, but uh, I don't think you should be too disappointed with him not starting last year. Bulls fans out there are upset still about that. He still got a lot of opportunity and was 
up above averages. I mean, I'm looking at it usage rate. He was 17% higher than the league average for guards who played over 500 minutes. So that's that's huge. Kobe White, when he was on the floor, was averaging 25% uh, usage rate. So he was definitely right. used a lot. And, and let me say this, too. I'm pretty sure you remember, maybe some of our listeners do as well, and I can't remember where you sat on this, but to start the season, certainly, I was in favor of starting Sadoransky at that point guard spot along with Zach in the backcourt and bringing Kobe off the bench. Not only was I worried about putting way too much on the plate of a rookie, a very young one-and-done rookie right out of the gate, but this wasn't a team that was like, well, we're, we're tanking and rebuilding, so we might as well start the rookie and let the kid play all the minutes that he wants to play. The Bulls told us on media day the goal was the playoffs. And they signed Sadoransky in the offseason for a reason. Yeah, he was kind of a, a, a not very shiny free agent uh, acquisition, but he made sense, at least at the time, in that he could be a, an, an, I, you know, I've said this a million times, low usage, high efficiency player who could essentially let Zach and Lowry and Wendell shine while, you know, having a solid assist to turnover ratio making his shots when he found them and mostly just being a facilitator. All of it made sense when we heard about it. And that's why I thought he should have been the starting point guard. Clearly Sato had a disappointing year and some of that's probably on him and some of that's probably on Jim Boylantham. But at some point in the middle of that season, that was clearly you're moving the goalposts. You're not talking playoffs anymore. You're a million games under 500 and Jim refused and refused and refused to play Kobe. Bulls fans then absolutely had the right to say, what the hell are you doing here? No, I was 100% with you. And I talked a little bit about that yesterday, saying you and I agreed that like it, it was okay. like Allowing Kobe White to break in his rookie year by playing against second units is good. It, was, it gives him a good opportunity. He doesn't feel overwhelmed at that point. And I was with you. You don't spend all that money. You don't make the trade to not start Thomas Sadoransky. And Chris Dunn's still there, too. They had a decision to make about him and whether or not to bring him off the bench or use him as a second guard out there. Uh, so I was with you. But yeah, once the season turned, then it was like starting to get to the point where you're like, all right, why isn't Kobe in there? Um, but we'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow or Friday's episode. We're going to do a Kobe White appreciation episode. Uh, we just kind of break down some of his stats, compare him to the other rookies in the league, and talk about the positives and negatives and highlight some of the best games he had last year. Uh, but I did want to leave you guys with this. B-Ball Index gives top talent areas for each one of their players. They give you four top talent areas. And here's Kobe White's in his rookie year compared to 137 other guards. His first top ten, top finishing area is finishing, uh, whether that be finishing a play, ability to get to and finish at the rim. Uh, his second top talent area is perimeter shooting, third is perimeter defense, and fourth is playmaking. Uh, so we'll kind of break those down and what that actually means on tomorrow's episode, but all good things for Kobe White. Uh, and yeah, maybe we'll even and hear from him And shout out tomorrow. to Kobe for being such a nice guy and having positive remarks about Jim Boylan today. Did you see that too? I did. When he was asked about Boylan's firing, he was like, yeah, I was kind of surprised to, you know, appreciate coach, appreciate everything he taught me. I'm like, man, talk about a high road from a really nice kid. <laughs> Do you really want me to comment on that? His, his, his fellow rookie, Dale Gafford, while answering questions on Twitch, just said, he aight. <laughs> and then said, he has a lot of areas to improve, not only as a coach, but as a human being. Do you like Jim Boylan? He aight. 
That's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. Thanks again for listening. Uh, check us out on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Thanks to our sponsor in Built Bar today. Go to BuiltBar.com for $10 off. Use the promo code Locked On. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. And do voicemails and text messages tomorrow. So make sure you get those in, 331-979-1369. Or you can hit us up on social media. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley, Bulls Nation. Have a wonderful day. Be back tomorrow with a fresh episode for Jordan and Matt. We are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com. 